Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is Catch and Shoot 2.0. I'm sitting here with my man, Otto Strong. And Otto, I'm going to start off this. We're going to talk a little NBA draft today. We're also going to talk about some of the issues surrounding this NBA restart. But before we get to all that, it was recently Father's Day. What did you do for Father's Day? Let's let, let's dive into this for a little bit. What does Otto Strong do on Father's Day? Do you grill? Do you have the family over? Uh, so set the scene for me. So, oh, oh this is going to be a sad scene. So, so Father's Day 2020 is basically four walls, and me and my wife, uh, my son and my daughter are in a, we're in another state, uh, physically in another state, and we weren't. Did you do a Zoom call? To, Did you do one of those family zooms? You've seen we, those, right? We, yeah, we we didn't we didn't do the family zoom. We had we had some calls on Saturday. Uh, we had another call on Sunday, so it was it was all good. Um, I think I made some. I think I made some pasta, you know. Uh, nice. So <laughs> it the, was, uh, it, 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 you know, it was, it was not one of the, you know, get, get the card and breakfast made and all that. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those years. Um, you know, my kids are 19 and 20. So, um, you know, that would be a little awkward if they're crawling into bed. <laughs> so so is, is that 19 and 20, the only thing you're hoping for is a phone call at that point that says happy Father's Day? Like, like at like, what point do you get to that level where you just don't care about gifts anymore and it just becomes, oh, they thought about me today? So like zero to five is like, you know, uh, you know, art macaroni. Five to 10 is like, uh, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, doing something fun, having a catch, you know, 10 to 15 is a, is a, is a tie. And then everything after that is just, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's, that's so relevant because what I did was I just called my dad and I was like, Hey dad, I'm in Florida. I'm not sure what you're doing, but happy father's day. Hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> but we, we, we did get like a nice little uh, Berlin family zoom going on. And I'm not sure if you've been on one of those zoom calls where there's like 15 individuals on these calls, but there's always someone with like the window in the background where you can't actually see their face. It's just their silhouette. There's always someone with the camera way too close. And then of course, like grandma Berlin doesn't really know what's going on, but she got it loaded and ready to go. And everybody was pumped about it. So that was how I told my dad, happy father's day. I gave a whole family zoom, which, you know, for me was just pure comedy and I enjoyed every (laughs) second of it. Well, look, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that all uh, all the dads and dads to be for 2021 have a have a different type of experience. But for now, you know, another sunrise is is, is where is where I'm at right now. Absolutely, <laughs> and you know what? Good. We wish all the dads out there a happy Father's Day. And we hope everybody had a good one. We know our producer Scott Turkin had a good one as well too. So, tip of the cap to all the dads out there. Otto, you want to talk some NBA and what's going on? Let what do us we got? Talk some NBA. Well, I mean. So are, are we playing? Or, are we playing or not? Because oh, you know, it's, today, I mean, it sounds like we're going to play some basketball at some point. 
okay, you know, but it's, it's going to be just like a three matter on three. Of, <laughs> you know, that's not a bad idea. Like if they just keep dropping players and losing them like flies, like just having a 3v3 tournament, they've already canceled the TBT for the year, right? So like why not just get branding rights and do it NBA style? I'd be for yeah. that. Yeah, so I mean, the latest player to to go down, I'm, I'm sure there are probably others, but Nikolai Jokic uh, is, is, I believe, still in Serbia and is supposed to be coming back to the U.S. at some point. Uh, training camp is supposed to begin somewhere between July 7 and 9 and in uh, the House of Mouse, as, as we all know, your, your home, your hometown of Orlando. Um, but you know, I, I'm just starting to get some, some heebie-jeebies about, about, uh, about, you know, the possibility of, of restarting. Well, and, and here's something else that should concern you. Florida this week surpassed a hundred thousand cases of COVID-19. And when they initially fostered this idea, right? Like it, it was great. Like Disney world was going to be a bubble. It was a place that was going to be shut down. Their hotels were going to be empty. They were going to have the wide world of sports, and now all of a sudden, right, like Disney World's going to open on the 15th, right? So you're going to have people there. You're going to have people in those hotels. They're not, I mean, they're going to have like exclusive floors and they're going to divide these teams up amongst four hotels. But with the way cases are spiking in the Sunshine State, there's already so many health and safety concerns, not, not to mention, Otto, you know, these players coming back, wherever they're at, wherever their homes were, and they go back to market they're going to have to self quarantine there. Right. Right. But that doesn't, and that doesn't prevent them from encountering support staff that may have come in contact with someone that doesn't prevent them from going to their local coffee shop, you know, picking up a coffee on their way to the gym and getting something and then being exposed to it. And so while it's great that players are starting to go back to market and they're starting to train and work, you know, I don't see a feasible way around this and to build off of that because I'm a pessimist and, you know, I, I can never be optimistic about anything, but it's one thing to restart, but then it's another to expect that in, in you know, two, three months that we're still going to have sports to begin with. Right. Well, or so first off, you're way too young to be, to be a pessimist <laughs> about, about so many things you, you need, you need to like, you know, I don't know, hit 40, lose some follicles on the, on the dome as it were. You know. hey, 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 if there's one thing I'm grateful for, it's that I still have a full head of head. All right. Full head I, of hair. There we I, go. I hear you. I hear you. All right. So what do you, what now, what's your, what is your take on, you know, the, the ring? We've seen these rings where uh, they're being designed for NBA, NBA players to wear uh, that could monitor COVID-like symptoms. And presumably you would know in advance before a full, before a full onset of symptoms. So, so my thoughts initially, and, you know, we talked about this off air a little bit is why are these rings not readily available to the public? Like if they can have a 90% guess rate on when you're going to encounter symptoms, why can I not go to Target and buy one, right? Like I can go to Target and I can buy a TV for 500 bucks, right? But why can I not buy a ring that should be mass produced that could potentially not only save my life, but it could save my grandmother's life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it goes back to the larger issue when all this started, you know, and people remember how 
short of supply they were for just tests, right? Like if you knew someone who got tested, it was a big deal because not a lot of people had been tested. Aaron, but, they were short on they were short on masks. They couldn't yeah. they, they didn't even have the cloth to put over your nose. <laughs> and you know, and they were telling they were telling everybody that you didn't you didn't need that at the, at this point at that yeah, at that point, which which is amazing and. You know, there's a whole another spiel about why people think that, but we're we're not going to go into that. We're not going but, there, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but the larger issue is people took offense to the fact that NBA players, NBA franchises, NBA support staff could have these tests readily available to them, right? Like they would go through a private testing firm and they would have them. That's going to be the same issue with this ring. And it's great that they're doing it, and it's great that they're trying to prevent an outbreak from occurring across these NBA circles. But the larger issue here is this isn't about sports. This is about so many other things that we talk about every single week on this show where it's, you know, it's you, it's me, it's, it's our, it's our family members. It's the people that they interact with daily. You know, sometimes th this ring is a great idea, but until it's in every single store, why is it special to just them? Look, Unless would, it's a testing ground for it, right? Like, well, that, that's, that's true. Okay. I mean, one of, yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, they're gonna they're gonna slip this thing on, and will it work? What you know, what are the, you know, there are there are such things as obviously false positives, and you know, you don't want to. I mean, the last thing you want to do is is spend three hundred bucks on something and then find out that well, really, it only works half the time. I mean, then then it's like, well, what's the point of that? But you know, in the end, you know, it, without something, uh, you know, in the absence of 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 not having this ring, obviously, it's, you know, it's better to have something than nothing, but still, um, I, I would like to see a little bit more done in the way of research on this, but if they could, if, if they feel, or if they can prove that, the, that it works, I would love to see it mass produced so that by the time the season is over, that everybody's got access to it. It almost feels a little too convenient. Like, Nobody had heard about this ring until the NBA put this plan in place, right? I am not a conspiracy theorist at all. And <laughs> I am not one to sit here and just make rash conclusions. But, you know, I, I, I like to say I'm well-read. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I listen to the news. I watch the news. I read the news every single day. I had not heard about this ring at all. Until I, it was I, a is, is that fair to say it. until yes. this came up? Uh, that's fair to say. And then and the other issue with the ring, and then we're going to move on in a second, but you know, if it if it is going to be something that's going to cost three hundred dollars, or you know three figures or or up, and just they, just remember the NBA is occurring this cost. It's not the players. The NBA is taking on this cost. Just like you know, and this was something else that was that I think has not been mentioned across this entire bubble that the NBA is making, and this is how committed they are to finishing this season. And you know, in the grand scheme of things, really taking care of their players. That's not lost on it, but. They are incurring all the cost of the hotels, of the facilities, of housing these teams. Usually, you know, when the playoffs come, when you're chartering back and forth between cities, that, that's on the franchises. True, true. But at the same time, there are going to be a whole bunch of eyes glued to the tube and those and that revenue is going to come in. And one would one would expect that there would be some you know money made off of off of it. What I was going to say about the rings is that it's one thing to to have uh, a product for folks who have money and could who could pay for the ring if they had to it's another thing when um you know 80% of the country or maybe i'm over exaggerating maybe but certainly half of the country would not be able to just drop 300 bucks on a, on a ring that detects covid so then you're right back to where you started with the haves and the have nots and and that's a whole nother mess but uh yeah. 
you know, it's 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 a big issue. If these rings were readily available to everyone, you know, put it this way. It, it hit home for me today when my girlfriend texts me and she goes, I may have been exposed to someone who came in counter with COVID-19. Sorry to so hear that. That's yeah. that's just how hard it hits w- when you do hear that. And, you know, it's great that we're getting sports back and they are starting to trickle back, whether it's the NBA, MLS, you know, Major League Baseball put together a plan this week where they could potentially resume at least training camp right after the start of July. But we need to make sure that we're doing this in a safe way. Absolutely. I mean, that's the safety first. <laughs> I feel like those old health videos from, from I, I know it kind of safety it kind first. of feels like those little videos that you would watch in elementary school, you know, where it's just like safety first. And you know, we talked about it on this show. Wash your hands. And what songs are you singing while you're washing your hands? Is it the, is it the old Orlando Magic theme? Is it, you know, the Lakers Showtime theme? Whatever, you know, that's the thing that we stress. Stay healthy, take care of yourself, take care of everyone else. This is normally the week where we get uh, all jazzed up about the NBA draft. And clearly we do not have an NBA draft this week. We won't have one next week. It's either. disappointing though, right? Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a gut punch. It really is. I mean, cause it, it, for me personally, I got to, got to cover it up close and personal. The draft was in New York. ESPN magazine was located in New York for, for several years. We used to, as a group, walk down from the office, uh, to, to the garden where the draft was. So, so there was, those were definitely some special times, but, uh, before so, we get into this, let's yeah. start because because so many people listen to the show have never gotten to cover a draft. You know, I, I've done draft shows. I've never been um, in New York where the draft has taken place. But, you know, like, like you, you watch it unfold and you watch the players are sweating. And, you know, so many times now, at least, whether it's Woj or Shams, you know, you know the pick before it's actually ever selected. But w- when you're in arena and you're watching it unfold, like for, for even a writer who's been around the NBA for as long as you have, like, that's a spectacle, right? Like, what is that moment like? It, it definitely is a spectacle. And, it, you know, it kind of runs, runs the gamut. I mean, I, I was uh, was in there from 07 to, I guess, 2010. Those was the four, four or five years, give or, give or take. Um, the the um, Odin, Odin Durant draft was was my first one. And we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, in a little bit for, for the surprise that we have for the listeners. But, you know, it, 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 the city took on uh, a different kind of feel. Um, you know, when, when, especially when there are a number of big names in the class, uh, you just felt Midtown was just kind of a buzz with, um, with, with activity. Uh, and, um, for me personally, you know, not having been kind of the, the guy on air, but, but working kind of stuff behind the scenes, it was definitely interesting. I mean, one of the, the, the funny little kind of silly asides. So there's a guy by the name of Tiago Splitter. We all, we all know him now. We, we, you know, we've seen him play, but back in the day, he was like the Kaiser Soze of the NBA. Nobody actually really believed this guy existed. So for the for the for those who uh, know the movie The Usual Suspects, um, you know, there were there were a few of us on the, on the media core who were like, okay, Tiago Splitter, who? What? Like, we thought this was a made up name, but that 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 perhaps shows a little bit more of our ignorance and perhaps our sophomore side. <laughs> but, yeah. But it, and, it, uh, go ahead. No, keep going. No, so it, it just, uh, you know, it, it was a kind of a crazy, you know, um, a crazy night because uh, right after the draft, you know, you guys are are kind of mint, newly minted millionaires, if you will. And they're, they're heading out to draft parties and all kinds of all kinds of stuff after that. Um, a number of players, you know, take off right right after that, head back to their hometowns where they're introduced to the new team. You know, so it's obviously it's a very exciting time, especially if. If you're um, a franchise that has like literally landed a, a pick that that will change your fortunes, 
And so on, on kind of in a, in a, in a little segue here or a little, little um, on a related front, we're going to attempt to look back at some drafts and offer teams a redo. If you, if it, if you will. And, um, <laughs> how, how many teams do you think in the history of the NBA draft would want to redo on their pick? You think all 30 teams at some point in the other are like, Jesus, we really screwed that up. <laughs> uh, well, as, as we're going to get into some, some teams screwed it up more than once in the same year, <laughs> so. but it's also, it's also fun, you know, to look back at some of these drafts and, you know, you, you think about them and you calculate the decisions in, in real time. And, you know, just to build off what you were saying from like an in arena perspective, you know, I, I covered a team for five years that the only hope that they had at the end of the year was whichever way the ping pong ball was going to fall. Right. And it always seemed like that, that ping pong ball fell one slot below. If it was a two player draft, they were picking third. If it was a four player draft, they were picking fifth. Right. right. And, you know, what we would do is we would have these big grand broadcasts in arena and around the bowl and where everyone could come and watch and be a party. And, you know, there's there's nothing that clears out a draft party faster than when you pick someone who the rest of the crowd has never heard of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that happened a handful of times. But, you know, that's just kind of what we're saying is, you know, people don't understand how every single NBA team's hopes and dreams rely on a ping pong ball and making the right selection. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, players who went in the draft, maybe three slots below where they should have been 14 slots below where they should have been. And there were some big ones and, you know, we just spent, what was it? Five weeks talking about the last dance and the Chicago bulls and Michael Jordan. And what did that docuseries start off with? the Chicago Bulls selecting Michael Jordan. But you know what? Everyone remembers Michael Jordan wasn't, wasn't the first player taken in that draft, was he? With the third pick in the 1984 <laughs> draft. It's like, wait, what? What? There were, there were two other guys? And so... And, and like, it wasn't a bad draft. That's the best part. Yeah. When you go back and look at these names, you know, like, that was a really good draft overall. But, you know, you look at Portland, and Portland's going to be a team that I feel like we're going to talk about a handful of times today. But just never making the right pick, right? Like Hakeem goes off the board at one to Houston, to Houston, who, you know, obviously an NBA legend. And then at number two, Portland comes in and they take Sam Bowie. So here's the thing. I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy and I don't want to be like that guy, but you know, this is, this is the, this is the, you know, what mid eighties were not so far removed from, from the trailblazers and their, and the success that they've had with, with, you know, Walton big men. I, I kind of get it. You know, I mean, clearly, clearly this does not happen in a, you know, 2010 NBA where there's, you know, guard centric play, but I, I kind of get it a little bit. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to kill the, the, the Blazers for that one. I'll kill them for 07. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that later, but, but. But how bad does it look when you have a generational player like Michael Jordan, not to mention, you know, a guy who completely changes the footwear industry with his Air Jordans and with signing with Nike and Portland is the backyard of Nike. Like, oh, it, oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it looks horrible, but I'm, I'll just say that I, I kind of get what they, you know, look, if we all had crystal balls, you know, we would, you know, we'd all be, we'd all be, you know, multimillionaires and you know what have you, but you know, they, they were, they were, they were, working with what they thought was the, the best pick, you know? Yeah, sure. If they, if they thought that the guy would win Jordan, of course, you know, talk, once win six titles, that would have been a different story. But in the mid eighties, the big man who 
you know, seven footer, that, that was the conventional thinking at that time. So the two players that went after Jordan, do you know who they were? I'm going to cheat. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sam Perkins and Charles Barkley. Okay. Like, well, like I Sam remember Bowie Barkley wasn't was... a bad player. You know, you, yeah. you look at his basketball reference page and, you know, he played till he was 33, entered the league at 23. So he played 10 years in the league. It's not a bad pick overall, but when you look at the guys that went behind him, like Sam Perkins had a successful career. Charles Barkley had a great career. You know, you just missed it. You missed yeah. a chance. You missed right. a chance. Well, well, to we'll go from a draft where you could kind of sort of debate to one is a slam dunk that you absolutely cannot debate or defend, and that would be the 2003 draft. So we all know the class of 03. LeBron is one. Carmelo is three. Chris Bosh is four. Dwayne Wade is five. Who is number two? <laughs> God, our, our, our producer, Scott Turkin, is going to hate this pick, right? Like when this came in, what, what, do, what do you think Scott was saying when he saw this pick come in? Uh, so you know, for those who, who don't remember, our, our producer is from Detroit and a Pistons fan. But, um, but yeah, I, I could imagine it would have been some version of, of burning a jersey or, or, <laughs> or ripping up season tickets or, or, or any tickets or Oh man, and the f bombs. I'm sure there were several. <laughs> so, so Carmelo is a freshman who's fresh off winning an NCAA title, carrying yep. that team. You know, doing it with so much swagger and beating a Kansas team in 2003 and Roy Williams's last game. You know, not mm-hmm. to throw in any Kansas things. Oh, but it, we, to we, take we, Darko we, Militich too. Darko, come on! Like, yeah. I I love the NCAA tournament, and people will say. Carmelo Anthony was like the first freshman to really do that for a team to, you know, take the one and done era and make it successful. Very few Mm. freshmen have done that. And you saw it before your own eyes. You saw how dominant he was that entire tournament. And then not only that, you also got to see Dwayne Wade in that final four. Yeah. Yeah. No, like with that Marquette team. Now the Jayhawks ran him out of building, ran him out of the building, but you know, whatever. Still fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are are uh, some nights when when you know uh, uh, Scott wakes up in the middle of the night just screaming Darko or something. <laughs> just a flat out cold sweat. Like, we don't like, mean to. Yeah, do, we don't mean to have fun. That has to be a curse word around Detroit, right? Like anytime uh, you just say Darko. Yeah, do you think the movie Donnie Darko is like banned there? I bet it is, <laughs> just because it's got that word. <laughs> All right, yeah, so it, it's, it's well, it's also amazing, you know not to derail this, but to to look at how successful some of the players were in that draft, you know, Nick Collison had a long NBA career. Michael Pietris helped that magic team get to a finals appearance. Mm -hmm. TJ Ford, Kirk Heinrich, you know, some of these guys were journeymen, but it's hard now when you look at some of these draft classes that come out and so many of these players that are taken mid to late first round, just never pan out. And, you know, this draft had a lot of good ones. I mean, in the second round, you had Kyle Korber. Uh, I think you had Jason Capono, who was a you know nice accent player for a while. You had Kyle Leon. Korber taking fifty-one. Yeah, go figure, right? That's uh... <laughs> all right. Let's let's talk about two thousand seven. You mentioned Portland earlier. Uh, this is so a draft two... that has de- defined so many franchises, right? Like, like uh, not only did it define Oklahoma City, but it, it kind of set the pace for Portland, right? Yeah, I mean, so 2007, the question was, you know, from from the moment that that ping pong ball, you know, you know, came up that it gave them the top pick, you know, they were, quote, unquote, on the clock. And the question was, is it going to be Greg Oden or is it going to be Kevin Durant? Seattle had the number two pick. 
And there was no question that it was going to be one, two. It was just a question of where they were going to go. And, you know, uh, there's a line in an Indiana Jones movie there was where the, where the guy goes, he chose poorly. <laughs> and that would be one of those, one of those times where they went, they went for the guy that they, you know, I definitely should have done to uh, gone for Kevin Durant, but yeah. So, so the thing was when I watched that Ohio state team, I, and this was kind of when the NBA was still kind of fixated on the big guy, right? Like if you had the big center, you could, you could play because uh, Dwight Howard, I believe was the falling draft in 2008 or maybe earlier by the magic. He might've been earlier, but I think he was 2004 actually. So like you still had Dwight doing his thing, but you know, Kevin Durant was so much fun to watch as a college player. You know, he revolutionized that, um, that Texas team. And, you know, whether it was playing with TJ Ford or DJ Augustine, those three guys were fun to watch with that Texas club, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, Mike Conley, Al Horford, those top four picks in the NBA draft, all those guys have been all-stars. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, Durant, I mean, I guess the, the one of the knocks on him was just the, 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 uh, very lean and you know was his body going to be able to to stand up to the rigors of the NBA game obviously uh check <laughs> but <laughs> but you know but people also forget you know he's he's he can he can shoot and can move like a guard yet he's what 610 i mean he's not you know he's not a a, a small guy by any by any stretch so um you know he's someone that um uh obviously Seattle was happy to <laughs> to 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 get and um team moved to OKC and the rest is, you know, as they say, history. And it's so. safe to say that that pick set the foundation for the next three Oklahoma city picks, right? Like when you think of Westbrook yeah. and Harden back to back, like those two guys fit around what they had with Durant, because I think Presty realized that he kind of had a lottery ticket there, but that leads us to 2009. And honestly, Otto, this was probably, I don't know, one of the best drafts of the last 15, 20 years. Is that safe to say? It's, I mean, when you look back, you have Blake Griffin, James Harden, uh, Stephen Curry, DeMar DeRozan. So many guys in this draft were taken that are all-stars now. And you look at what that top 10 was that like the, the misses aren't bad, but like Minnesota had two tries at this two mm-hmm. tries autumn. Yeah. And they take, yeah. and they had back-to-back picks. So it wasn't even that they took Ricky Rubio at five it was that Steph Curry was still on the board and you followed up the Rubio pick with Johnny Flynn. Yeah. yeah that, that's that, uh, you know, just, just, just like our, our Detroit, our friends in Detroit, uh, our friends in Minnesota, are, um, I know are crying a river that, uh, you know, they could have yeah, you two had, bites at the apple. Two shots at a point guard. You took back to back point guards and you picked wrong both times. Yeah. yeah both you, you times. Just, you just don't see that every day, but uh, I mean, <laughs> like, from, go ahead. And Minnesota has been reeling from that selection. And, and, you know, Otto, the thing that I keep going back to is this is when I really started to watch the NBA is, you know, Minnesota picked Ricky Rubio, despite there being rumors out there that he was not going to sign there and he didn't want to play there. And at the time, you know, and I believe he was playing in Spain at the time, his buyout was huge. And so mm-hmm. for them to not only take him, but when you just saw what Steph Curry did in the NCAA tournament and how he was shooting the basketball how do you, if you're going to take back to back point guards, how do you not at least take him? No, it, it, this it's it's there's no defense for it. I'm not, I'm not even going to try to put one up. Um, you know, but you were talking about the depth of the draft, and so often we look at you know the the, the top picks, the top ten, what have you. I mean, the second round, if you, you know, take a look, you had Patty Mills, you had Danny Green, who was our guest last 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 time out. Um, 
Patrick Beverly. I mean, you know, this this draft was was stacked. Um, and you know, so it's a uh, what was yeah, Memphis doing it too? What was like, Memphis like doing? Did, did Memphis scout at all in this draft? Did they look at anybody? Like, did they watch the tournament? Did they even bring guys in? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those where where you know if you throw a you throw a dart, you'd probably hit something good, and you just they found out one spot where it didn't didn't really work out too well for them. Well, because he, you know, and this is like when it's kind of fun to to dive into these things. But they had just taken Marcus Gasol the year before, right? So they had taken back to back centers, and, and you had to realize, like at that point, like Mark Gasol was going to be a good NBA player. You know, you'd had yeah. him a year in your system. Yeah, he was. Uh, he when I think it was uh, 07 it was a second round, second round pick. But as I recall, but but yeah, he he. I don't know what they were thinking. You know, they 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 didn't they didn't call me ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Otto, I, I want to move on and talk about. 14 teams who didn't know what they were doing in this draft. It's not just <laughs> Memphis, but you know, when you look at this one specifically, and I think you know where I'm going, but Giannis taken in the middle of the draft at 15. Middle of the draft! 14 teams passed on him. And this was the year, Otto, this was the year that Anthony Bennett went number one. Number one overall. Victor Oladipo goes number two. Anthony Bennett goes number one to Cleveland. No, those were uh, that that Bennett pick. I mean, I remember uh, that there were uh, quite a few Nobody people who were expected that. No, quite a quite a few uh, folks were scratching their heads. I mean, I think people were looking at Nerlens Noel. Uh, you know, th- there was some talk about Contavious Caldwell Pope, but but um, you know, Giannis uh, obviously clearly will be the one that everyone says, "Yeah, if we got to, if we if we only could do this one over again." <laughs> Oh, there, there were there was another big miss, you know, and this is 2013 that we're talking about this. CJ McCollum at number 10 to Portland. We've harped on Portland a lot on this show about their misses in these mm-hmm. draft situations. Mm-hmm. CJ McCollum was a great pick at 10. Oh, it was, it absolutely was. So you know, we will we will we will redeem we'll redeem them a little bit for for their for their pick at 10. And let's not forget at that point Giannis was a lottery ticket. He was a skinny guy out of Greece that not a lot of people had gotten to see. So. You know, taking him where he was, it was a safe pick for the Bucks at one. Hey, that's why you pay scouts, right? That's why you go mm-hmm. about this. And all right, so let's move on. We're going to talk about our last class. And this one hits home a little bit, you know, because it's here in Central Florida. This is 2017. This was a draft where there, there were three main guys, right? Like, like if you remember the conversations around this draft, it was Fultz, Ball, Tatum. And then there was a drop-off. And there were so many conversations about how good Markel Fultz was and the things that he could do as a point guard. And people were skeptical about Boston not wanting him at one, right? Like you remember there was that big conversation where they traded around and you know Philly ended up with the number one pick. This might be the biggest one-one pick miss of all time, right? Is it, you have this is your your your. Wor- <laughs> this wor- is worse than wor- this is worse than Anthony Bennett because of the assets that Philadelphia gave up to get him. Okay, and then not to saying. mention not not to mention at the end of the day, you flip him at the NBA trade deadline for a second round pick and Jonathan Simmons while you're making a playoff push. You well, don't even so- finish out the first contract. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we have so so Tatum obviously is, is uh, you know with the Celtics. Question: Do you feel like 
you feel like he will be there for you feel like he'll he'll be he'll be there they rock for years to come you know i'm i'm wavering a little bit on this i love jason tatum as a player but his first few years i was more excited about him than i am right now you know i, I walk away right now and i'm more excited about what De'Aaron fox is doing with sacramento mm-hmm. you know and his mm-hmm. speed as a point guard I just love watching him play. And then you look at six, and this was a pick that I wasn't overly excited about when the Magic took him, Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State. You know, Isaac was kind of the same thing that a lot of people said about Kevin Durant. Tall, lanky guy, skinny, weren't sure if he was going to put on weight, didn't know if he could shoot. But, you know, that's a guy that could potentially, I don't know if he's ever going to score enough in the NBA, but defensively, he's going to be as good as anyone in the league. Well, okay, so 2017 will always be known as the false fiasco. Um, hey, man, we could do this all day, all night, uh, but we're going we're gonna to cap it here. We're going to make this uh, the, the end of and the close of our show. Absolutely. If you guys have any other draft misses that you'd love to talk about, just shoot them our way. You can find us on Twitter, or you can hit us up at purehoopsmedia.com. As always, we're going to hit you with our programming this week. Mike Weissman. That guy just continues to bring big-time guest after big-time guest. On Monday, he had Bill Walton. Tuesday is the full-court press with Fanton Adams. Wednesdays, you know where you're at. You're right here at Catch and Shoot 2.0. Thursdays is where Buckets, Boards, and Blocks lives with Monica McNutt. And Friday, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. They had a big guest this week. Cedric Maxwell joined them. As always, if you like our content, all that we ask, rate, share. You guys have no idea how far that goes for our show. And one uh, one final note, I want to thank all the folks who make this uh, show possible. So that would be our producer, Scott Turkin, our other producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Ben Wolfen. And uh, finally, when, you know, we know what these times are like, it's, it's crazy. Um, we, we just ask that everybody continue to be smart, be safe, be respectful, wash hands, social distance. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.